0: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome, one and all, to this day of worship, this beautiful fall day of worship. It's a pleasure to welcome everybody who's worshiping with us here in our sanctuary, as well as those of you who are worshiping with us online via our church's live stream. Welcome, one and all, to this time of worship. I invite everybody to fill in the friendship pad. If you're here in our sanctuary, that's The maroon pad on the inside aisle of each pew, if you would pull that out and just sign your name and pass it down to those in your pew, that would be wonderful. Mark your attendance with us. If you're online worshiping with us, there's a tab on our website where you can click and you can sign the online friendship pad. And if you are visiting and you'd like to know more about GPC and who we are as a family of faith, then you can certainly uh, indicate that. Put your contact information down and we would be so happy to be in touch with you, and to tell you more about our family of faith. And so welcome, one and all, to our worship service today. There are lots and lots of announcements that are there in your bulletin. You can see those listed at the end of the worship service material. You can see so many different things where you can be involved in the life of GPC. We invite you to, to survey all of those announcements and to know where your place may be Um, in the life of the church. Just a few things about today's worship service. So there is an ordination service for a deacon and that's going to be uh, um, just after the children's sermon and so as part of that we do like to invite those who are actively serving as deacons. So if you're a deacon right now and you're here then you would join in and take part in the laying on of hands of that, um, of that diaconate ordination ceremony. So that will be in just a little while. So Susie will call you forward if you're an active deacon and you can come lay hands on it during the ordination prayer. Um, in addition to that, inside our worship service this morning, of course, we do know it's fall break for the Germantown school system. And so we don't have our children's music program uh, this afternoon. We won't have our youth group fellowship this afternoon either. We take the Sunday of fall break off for a break on that, but we'll resume next week. We'll be back in full force with all of our children's and youth activities next Sunday at the conclusion of fall break. Please see the nominations form that's at the very end of your bulletin, the back cover. Be thinking about, praying about who um, might be called to serve uh, in an, as an officer, a deacon, or an elder in our congregation and please uh, fill that in and put that in the offering plate or send it to the church office or email it in, and that would be most appreciated as the nominating committee starts to uh, begin its work. Also, please see the uh, church directories that are this door out to your left or in the North X. We're asking everybody to make sure their information is correct. Sometimes a phone number changes, sometimes an email changes, sometimes a whole address changes. So um, please do make sure your information is right, and we're going to send those out and update our church directory. And uh, if you don't have a picture in there, a few people don't, we'd love to include a picture as well. So if you would send in a picture to the church office, then we'll make sure it gets in that new directory as we print it. Also at the uh, entrance ways to each church is a position description for the director of uh, ministry to children. We are in the search process now of a new children's ministry director. So if you know of anybody who might be interested, uh, perhaps a teacher, somebody from another field, um, uh, a lot of people are in job transition right now and maybe hearing a calling to work with children. So that position description, again, is in the Northex. It's on the tables by the entryways. Pick that up and take that to a, a colleague or a neighbor or someone who you think might be interested in working with our children here at GPC, and uh, we'd be delighted to receive their resume. Don't forget about coming back tonight for our blended worship service at 6 o'clock. You can start the day and end the day with worship here at GPC. In the meantime, um, now we have a special announcement from Alec Ivey, who is chair of our stewardship committee. Alec, welcome.
1: Good morning. Uh, allow me to introduce you to engaging our potential. These three words strung together. Are an appeal and call to our prospects in the making. During the next two years in 2022 and 2023, engaging our potential is our stewardship. For the next two years, engaging our potential is how we will regularly set aside a portion of the surplus that God provides to us, to our families and our livelihoods. For the next two years, engaging our potential will not only fund our budget, but engaging our potential will also pay off our debt. That is, we will permanently Replace the capital that we temporarily borrowed from a bank when we invested in modern buildings in 2018. Missy and Paul Gwynn and Tracy and Emmett Whitaker have volunteered to organize our prayer and discussion and commitment to this effort. In the coming weeks, Missy and Paul and Tracy and Emmett will invite us to prayer, devotion, and fellowship They and others will describe the ministry that we can can and must do with our additional funding. Along with our stewardship team, they will steer us step-by-step toward Commitment Sunday on November the 21st. My name is Alec Ivey. I currently serve on our stewardship team with Melinda Russell, John Sebold, Beth Brock, Alan Calicut, and Robert Shaw. We work behind the scenes with all the ministries of GPC and with our pastor, Will Jones, and our church business manager, Fred Turbury. One of our one of our jobs is to keep GPC's financial matters simple and orderly. You make our job easy. That is to say, we can testify that GPC has many stewards. You see the needs of the church, and you are always generous. The stewardship team respects and admires the sacrificial stewardship of this church. About this time every year, the stewardship team helps the church budget and plan for its foreseeable needs. It is now that time again. Our budget comes up from the leaders of each ministry. The sum of the parts is approximately 2 million dollars per year. In addition to these expenses, our debt is approximately 1.5 million dollars. Principal and interest on this debt consumes about $10,000 per month or $120,000 per year. This debt payment is scheduled to recur for 15 years. Let me emphasize that our debt should not alarm you. GPC is not overdue, overextended, or overindulged. However, we are also not in a Goldilocks zone. If it were just right, our debt balance would be zero. For our church, a debt is needless leakage. The required payments represent about 6% of our expenditures. That is the third largest category. I hope you will agree that a zero debt will maximize the honesty and flexibility of our future decisions. We want to pay it off and thus maximize our potential. This year, on November 21st, when we pledge contributions to the church, We will make a commitment to our financial stewardship that is slightly different from our regular annual routines of the past. We will make a combined pledge to cover routine church operating expenses for the next two years, 2022 and 2023, plus an amount that will pay off our debt. Your single pledge will be your combined total commitment to that time and purpose. The total two year need is approximately $5.5 million. That is engaging our potential. Please consider increasing your pledge accordingly. We are making our stewardship commitments differently this year because your upcoming pledge spans both 2022 and 2023. We will not repeat our usual stewardship campaign at the end of 2022, this time next year. That's the only real difference. All the usual expectations and planning flexibilities will apply. That is, pledge cheerfully with prayer and gratitude. If your circumstances change after an initial commitment you may raise or lower your commitment by simply informing Fred Turvey, the church business manager. Be aware of the two-year plan to fulfill your pledge, but know there is never any time limit or required frequency for actual payment of any pledge. If you make an unpledged offering, you may specifically instruct the church how to apply your offering. For example, some like to make special over and above offerings to the general funds of the church, and some earmark certain contributions to designated funds, such as music, the Memorial Garden, and the like. Your specific instructions will always be honored to your satisfaction. So, as we go about engaging our potential, let us do it sacrificially and as an example of love and with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for the work of GPC. Mark your calendar for November 21st. Thank you.
2: We gather in Christ's name to fill this place with our praise of God. God is worthy of our devotion. Please stand and join me in our call to worship. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. God invites us daily to be renewed in the image of Christ. Let us confess where we sin and fall short of God's goodness. Holy God, we confess our sin before you. We have sinned against you by following other gods, listening to other loves, and hoping in others above you. We know our sins, and yet we feel powerfulness to defeat them we turn to you as the only source of redemption. In your goodness, have mercy on us, we pray. Also in your goodness, show us the way of faith, so that you will be our God, our primary love, and our highest hopes. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God's mercy knows no bounds. God's grace is given freely in Jesus Christ. Through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have received pardon for our sins. Hallelujah. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and also with you. As our children come forward for the children's sermon, please greet those around you with a sign of God's peace.
3: Good morning, friends. Good to see you guys. Good morning. My name is Mike, and I have a story for you. Okay, so there once was a good-looking, very nice young man, and early in the morning, Jesus was walking with his friends, and all of a sudden, the young man came to him and said, hey, could I talk to you for a second? And Jesus said, yeah, no problem. He said, okay, so I really want to go to heaven. What do I have to do to go to heaven? Well, Jesus said, you know, you, you, you follow the Bible. You follow the Ten Commandments, and then you'll go to heaven. Well, the guy said, I've done that. I've followed all of the scriptures, but something just feels like it's missing. Well, Jesus looked at him, and he saw that he really meant it. And he really loved God, and Jesus admired him for that. And he said, you know what? One thing is missing. I want you to take all of your money— I want you to sell all of your things and give it to the poor. Then, follow me, and then you will go to heaven. Well, the guy didn't like that very much. And this is a balloon. And as soon as Jesus said, give all of your things and follow me, You know what happened? He felt just like this. He felt deflated. He felt so low and sad because he realized as much as he wanted to go to heaven and to be with Jesus, his heart was still really focused on the things here on earth. So this week, as you hang out with your mommy and with your daddy and you go to school, I invite you to ask Jesus to give you his heart. His heart for your friends, for your parents, for each other, for church, for him. And no matter what happens, you won't feel like that balloon. He will be close to you and you will feel so close to him. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray together. Good morning, Jesus. Thank you so much. For being our friend. And for filling us up. With your heart. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may find your seats.
4: Friends in Christ, we have an opportunity this morning to ordain and install Graham Askew as a deacon um, in this church. And so as we do, I will begin with sharing some sentences of scripture. From 1 Corinthians, we hear there are a variety of gifts, but it is the same spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served together. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are all called into the church of Jesus Christ by baptism and marked as Christ's own by the Holy Spirit. This is our common calling, to be disciples of Jesus Christ and servants of our servant Lord. Within the community of the church, some are called to particular service as deacons, as ruling elders, and as ministers of word and sacrament. Ordination is Christ's gift to the church, assuring that his ministry continues among us. Through ordination, God provides for acts of care and compassion in the world, for the ordering and governance of the church, and for the preaching of the word and celebration of sacraments. Responding to one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the session of Germantown Presbyterian Church now ordains Graham Askew to the ministry of deacon and ordains him and installs him to active service in this congregation. Now we will share together in the profession of our faith. And so Graham, I ask you to come and stand beside me As God calls some to particular forms of ministry, God calls us all to bear gladly the yoke of Christ given in the covenant of baptism. And so together, I invite us all to reaffirm our baptismal vows, renouncing all that opposes God and God's rule and affirming the faith of the Holy Catholic Church. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, Do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce evil and its power in the world? Do you? I do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? Do you? I do. I do. Will you be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying his word and showing his love? Will you?
0: I do. I will.
4: (laughs) Thank you. Graham, these are the constitutional questions for you. In your baptism, you were claimed by the love of God, clothed in grace by Jesus Christ, and anointed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit to share Christ's ministry in the world. Now, you were called by God through the voice of the church for new service and ministry in Jesus' names. In accordance with the constitution of the Presbyterian Church USA, Show your commitment to this calling by responding to these questions. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? Acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? I do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? Do, do you Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church to be authentic and reliable expositions of what Scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you and will you?
0: I do and I will.
4: Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience, obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's Word and Spirit? Will you? I will. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? I will. Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church? Do you? I do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you? I will. Will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? I will. And to the congregation, do we, the members of this church, accept Graham Askew as a deacon, Chosen by God through the voice of the congregation to lead us in the ways of Jesus Christ, do we? Do we agree to pray for Graham and all the deacons to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is the head of the church? Do we? We do. Graham, I invite you to be seated on the front pew and I invite uh, the active diaconate to come now if you are here among us, and you can stand behind Graham in the pew. also invite the pastors to come. You can stand behind him or you can stand in front of him, and just at arm's length, you can, yeah, Graham, you stay seated, and just reach out your hand and touch the one in front of you so that we can gather around Graham for this prayer of installation and ordination. Let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious and eternal God, with joy, we give you thanks and praise. Throughout the ages and in every place, you have chosen servants from among your people to point the way to salvation by your grace. We are grateful for ancestors in the faith, men and women, leaders, apostles, teachers, prophets, and judges each one boldly speaking your words of mercy and truth in every age and nurturing your people in faith and faithfulness. We praise you for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life to others, to set others free. Anointed by your Holy Spirit, he proclaimed your reign on earth, revealing your saving love in all that he did and said. Gracious God, pour out your spirit upon your servant Graham, whom you have called by baptism as your own. Grant him the same mind that was in Jesus Christ. Give him a spirit of truthfulness that he may proclaim your word in Christ and all that he says and does in his daily life. By the gifts of your Holy Spirit, empower him to build up the church to strengthen the common life of your people, and to lead with compassion and vision. Pour out your spirit of power and truth upon the whole church, that we may be for you a holy people, baptized to serve you in the world. Sustain your church in ministry, ground us in the gospel, secure our hope in Christ, strengthen our service to the outcast, and increase our love for one another. Show us the transforming power of your grace in our life together, that we may be effective servants of the gospel, offering a compelling witness to all the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and together we say, Amen. Graham, you are now ordained and installed as a deacon in this congregation and within the body of the church the larger church. We bless you in your service of leadership, compassion, and care. Amen.
0: Let us pray. Holy God, as the words of our anthem just said, lead us in the paths of peace. Lord, guide us and direct us all of our steps every day. Guide us and direct us now as we look at this story from Jesus' own ministry, his own encounter with this young man. We pray, Lord, that you would be able to inspire us that we would see ourselves in him or in that crowd around Jesus, that this story would be as alive for us now as it was when it happened. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Our New Testament lesson comes from the book of Mark. It's in Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. This is such a revealing story. It's such a revealing story, and I think we can see ourselves as part of that crowd. Maybe in this young man, maybe in one of the disciples as well. But we are all somewhere in this story that I read now from Mark 10, 17. Jesus was setting out on a journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you know them. You shall not murder, you shall not... Commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. The man said, teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell what you own and give the money to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard this, the man was shocked and then sad because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed by this, at these words. Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution, and then in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The first reaction is usually the truest. I mean, you can tell so much about people and their reaction to Jesus by their emotions that hit them right after he speaks. The first reaction is usually the truest. It reveals values, priorities, loves, ideals, everything when you see the, how they emotionally respond to Jesus. I've been looking at this lately during different Bible studies and, and keying in, and I haven't thought about this approach as much before, but to do that, to look at the emotion that is on display when Jesus speaks to people. And it's really remarkable the different emotions that come out of people when Jesus encounters them. One that surprises me, and I think it surprises a lot of people, is to see how Jesus evokes anger out of people. There are people who encounter Jesus, and Jesus speaks to them, and their response is first and foremost anger. It happens a lot with some of the Pharisees and some of the the great teachers in that day and age. Jesus encounters them, and in his words, he reveals either their lust for control, um, their power, their, their desire to influence other people, maybe even their status in society reveals sometimes a lot of their hypocrisy. And so they are embarrassed and they're angry. And it doesn't take very long when we get into the Gospels to see that those people who react angrily to Jesus, first they want to trap Him, and then they want to kill Him. The, the emotion that they respond with to Jesus is so full of fury that the thing they want to do the most is killing because they want their control they want their status they want their power and Jesus is getting in the way of that sometimes that happens for all of us it happens for us and. We don't like to spend time with prayer in Jesus if we're judgmental, if we're quick to see the, the speck in somebody else's eye, but not the log in our own. If we want to control family members, if we like st- status, then, then we don't want to spend much time in Jesus because He will, in quiet times, reveal that in us. Sometimes Jesus makes us angry. Another great reaction you see that people have in Scripture, a reaction to Jesus, is actually confusion. And in most cases when people are confused by Jesus it's actually a good thing because they are they're questioning things like they never have before. They are questioning some of the assumptions, they're questioning some of their religious values. Nicodemus for example is is one in scripture is confused by Jesus. He comes up to Jesus at night. He says, "We know you're from God. Nobody can do the things that you do if you weren't from God." And he is confused by who Jesus is and this is really a good thing it's a good thing it happens in our world right now all around us in in our everyday life all around us there are people who are confused in a good way by Jesus by God because they're questioning some of the assumptions that they grew up with you see people hear about Jesus they see his teachings they see how good Jesus is and they start to question some of those assumptions that were taught to them by their parents or in their friendship circles, maybe at school, maybe at college. It's happening all around us. You see articles about it. You see people, you hear people questioning the values that were instilled in them when they were growing up by people who were maybe hostile to faith. People say, oh, all religions are just the same. Christianity is just oppressive. Faith is just a myth wish fulfillment, science and materialism are the only things that can really provide answers. But lots and lots of people who grew up in those types of environments come at a crossroads in their lives. And they start to question that assumption and all of those assumptions. They see that there is a spiritual world that's part of creation that is also along with the material world. And they start to question and investigate what faith really is, what Christianity really is. Not what some biased person, some jaded person told them, but what faith is and who Jesus really is. And being confused about Jesus can be a really good thing, because that's how we grow. The most common emotional reaction to Jesus you find in Scripture is actually one of joy, just deep and abiding joy. People are healed by Jesus, they are forgiven by Jesus, and they, they leap like deer with joy. Zacchaeus came down to that tree, he ran with Jesus to his household, he repented, and he was overjoyed at his new life. There's a woman who is healed from an affliction that just bound her for long, long years, and she is so overjoyed in Jesus' presence. The Gerasene man has his mind back, he gets his life back, and he is so overjoyed, he tells Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. If I had one wish for everybody in this congregation, it would be that you would know at some point in your life the deep joy that comes from forgiveness and healing. That deep joy that only Christ can provide, that only God can give you through Christ. You will face these seasons of hardship. You'll face dry seasons in your life. But it's that memory of the joy that will sustain you through all of those hard times? Have you experienced the joy that comes with Jesus? And then there's the emotional reaction that we read about today. We get to this one, and it is remarkable. It's several times in this reading. We read about how people are astounded or shocked, and then how one person turns away sad. This is the only person in Scripture that Jesus meets and has a one-on-one, eye-to-eye, personal invitation to follow him and become one of his disciples who turns around and walks the other way. he walks away sad. That is his initial reaction to Jesus. Now, let's think about this man. On the surface, his intentions are good, aren't they? They're good. He recognizes that Jesus is this very wise teacher. Unlike others, he is this great teacher, and he asked Jesus this fundamental question about human existence. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a loaded question. (laughs) That question is loaded with so much meaning and so much truth. I thought about this this week. We could create a whole sermon series on that question alone. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It is packed. Packed with recognition, for example, that there is a life beyond this life, that is eternal, not bound by time. In this question is an understanding that people do have an obligation. We have an obligation along spiritual lines to seek a higher spiritual life that is way above and beyond just our physical bodily animal existence. In this question is a recognition that there is a moral order to how creation Operates and that there are ethical moral laws built into creation just like there are natural laws of gravity and the speed of light and weather patterns. all these things are built into creation by God. There are things that we do that are better than other things and worse than other things. there are behaviors that are better and there are behaviors that are worth worse some good some things are good. Some things are wrong. God does have in mind the right way for human beings to live. It's all packed into that question. Now you have to know that by the time this man reaches Jesus, he has been churning over these truths that are in this question. He's been churning them over in his own heart and his own mind. He finally finds somebody he thinks I can. I can say this question. I can articulate. This question here is somebody who can answer me now. Because you know he feels this emptiness. It is in his, it's in his heart, it's in his soul. He has been turning over this question about the meaning of his own life. Despite all the worldly assets he has, despite his wealth, despite his status, something is still gnawing at him. Or he would not have gone with this question to Jesus. There is a kind of emptiness in him that he knows only Jesus can answer. So Jesus does begin to answer this man, and he talks first, again, on sort of a surface level about his behaviors and his interactions with other people, his, his own sense of morals in and around others. In their day and age, in that context, of course, they would turn immediately to the Jewish Torah, to the law, and then specifically here to the Ten Commandments. Jesus starts by asking this man about his actions on an interpersonal level with other people. And he starts with the second half of the Ten Commandments. So he says, well, you know the law. Have you lived well? Have you lived according to the law? Not lying, not defrauding your neighbors, not stealing, honoring your parents, being faithful, not killing? Yes. Yes. I've done all of those since my youth, the man answers. And then Jesus goes to the core. Those were some of those surface-level, interpersonal, behavioral questions about his life. Now he goes deeper, and you know that Jesus will always go deeper. He will always penetrate to the core of your being, to your deepest values, your most closely held priorities, to your beliefs. Jesus says, okay, that's great as far as treating other people goes. But what about your relationship with God? What about God? Where is God in your life? How much does God really matter to you? Is God your highest love in the hierarchy of your priorities? Where is God? Now, Jesus didn't overtly mention God to this man. But He does so kind of through the back door. He does so indirectly. By naming and and exposing for this man who his God is, which is his wealth, his riches. One thing you lack, said Jesus, divest yourself, sell it all, give to the poor, and come follow me. Then you'll be spiritually wealthy. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. So, what was this man's immediate emotional reaction? He was shocked. And then he was sad. And he turned around and walked away from Jesus. You see, this man assumed what a lot of people assume, that if he's a pretty good person, if he treats people fairly, if he's decent to other people, then when he dies, he will inherit eternal life. He'll be part of God's kingdom if he's moral, if he is kind to people, if he does the right things. And we can assume that out of his wealth, he probably gives to the temple, he gives alms to the poor. He assumes what most people do, that if he's a good person on an interpersonal level with his neighbors, then he'll have eternal life and go to God's kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not how it works. You don't earn your reward into God's kingdom based on your behavior. What matters in the end is your relationship with God. Jesus gets to the truth with this particular man by naming what his highest love is, which is his worldly status and wealth. And that's what it is for a lot of people. Maybe that's where you wrestle in the hierarchy of your priorities with Wealth or status or land or possessions or home. For some other people, it's their work. For other people, it's politics. For this man and for a lot of people, it is his money. Everybody has loves and passions and goals and priorities and relationships. And Jesus' question to each one of us is this where is God in the hierarchy of your relationships? Or if it's better for you to imagine a circle, a circular target. Is God at the center of your life? Or have you placed yourself in the center and God on one of the peripheral rings around it, revolving around you? So Jesus speaks to this man about his treasure and immediately reveals what his highest love is and what is at the center of his heart, what's at the center of his desires. So this man turns his back on Jesus. And then Jesus goes on to shock the disciples in his words right after this. He surprises them. Now what he says is a surprise because everybody in Jesus' day, and I will tell you a lot of people in our own day and time assume that to be wealthy is a special blessing from God. To be wealthy means back then, maybe for some people now, that God favors you more and blesses you more and loves you more than other people who are not as wealthy. Despite all kinds of writings in the Old Testament that contradict this way of thinking, for Jesus' disciples, and you can see it in this story, for Jesus' disciples, along with most everyone, they assumed that to be rich meant that you were blessed by God. And Jesus turns this thinking totally inside out and upside down. I mean, it is really radical what he says here with his famous camel through the eye of a needle expression, What he says is this, that in this world, a person's wealth is likely a sign that he or she is not saved and not blessed by God, which shocked the disciples because everybody, again, assumed that wealth and riches were a sign of God's blessing in life, and therefore wealth was an easy read on whether or not they were saved. And Jesus says the exact opposite. Why would wealth be an indicator that someone's priorities are backwards? That they are not favored by God? Because wealth gets in the way of a relationship with God. Wealth can be so intoxicating. It can be so distracting. Money can be so entangling. And so it may be a sign that you're not blessed by God if you are entangled with all these worldly encumbrances. Money provides such security in our world. And so people depend on it more than they depend on God. You know, people who repeat the saying, well, money isn't everything, are usually those who have it, or at least have enough of it to get by pretty well in life. It provides so much, think of it, money provides so much of what we enjoy. So many things we take for granted. It doesn't even take a lot of money. It doesn't take much relatively to know how much good it provides. Security in health care, education, great food, great art, all kinds of opportunities, great-looking clothes, all of these things. Go to any impoverished area a mile or two from here, and you won't see nearly the amount of all of these things. Good health care, good education, uh, great food, great art, all of those things are provided by money. And we are so eager to place our security and our hope in those things. It provides luxury. It provides status. So much so that people who have it tend to forget that worldly security does not translate to spiritual security ever at all. And this man was clearly sensing this in his heart because he was was empty and something was gnawing at him. He was restless. He was hungry. We tend to forget that great luxury in this life, in our homes, our cars, luxury on earth doesn't even come close to comparing to the glory and the luxury of heaven. God does not care a bit about somebody's worldly status. Does anybody honestly think that the creator of the universe is ever impressed by anything that we could build or make or own? We forget. Maybe it's spiritual amnesia, maybe it's spiritual blindness, but we forget, like this man does, we forget to put God first and at the center, and our amnesia is often caused by money and possessions. So, those disciples, they get what Jesus is saying. They totally get it. They ask, How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. God can even save a rich person. God can even save someone and humble that person and bring that person into a relationship. God can save anybody whose ego and status might otherwise create a little God complex in them, lest their possessions and their status make them think more highly of themselves than they should. With all things, God is possible in all things. So for you and I, as we wrap up, what is your emotional reaction to Jesus' words in this story? I thought about this when Alec was speaking. What was your emotional reaction when Alec got up to tell you about our church's next capital and stewardship campaign? Was it, ugh, here we go? Or was it, I wonder how I can participate? And what our church is doing to to build up God's kingdom in this world. Was it a negative or positive response? I'll just stop with this parting wisdom for you. I'll just say this. This wisdom was given to me a long time ago. It's never been contradicted by experience ever. It's always, always been true. That if you don't want to walk away sad like this man then always be consistently generous, and the basic teaching of Scripture is to give 10% away. If you get a check, if you get a bonus from work, if you get an inheritance that's maybe a few hundred dollars, maybe it's several thousand dollars, whatever you get, give away 10% just like that, no questions asked. Give away 10%. 10% is never so much that you will actually miss it and the larger proportion of that gift. But it is enough to constantly remind you to be generous and to give and that God is first in your life. What is your emotional reaction to that? If you can't give away 10% of a bonus or a check or a commission or an inheritance just like that, if the thought of that makes you nervous or sad, then talk to God about why. And I think God will turn that sadness into joy. Amen.
4: Friends, we've been blessed to hear God's Word read and proclaimed to us. And so let us now stand and unite our voices into one voice as we affirm our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated.
3: As God has spoken to us, we have such an opportunity, just the gift of being able to talk back. So I invite you to join me now in a word of prayer. Ah, good morning, Jesus. It feels so good to be with you and to be together in this place, where we are not only blessed with the beauty of this day, but just with the nourishing joy. Spending some good quality time with you, and as we do, we are reminded by you that we don't have to check ourselves at the door. But we can bring all of who we are, baggage and all, brokenness and beauty, and lay it all down and relinquish that at your feet, knowing that you are so responsive to the needs and cries of your people. So this morning, we remember before you, our sisters and brothers all over the world that are starving right now for justice, for tranquility, for food, we lift you those in our country that are still in the throes and battling this terrible health crisis that we've been living through for far too long. We ask that you would heal the divisions that are constantly making themselves known before us in our communities and all across our good country. And we beg of you to pour your spirit of wisdom and compassion into all leaders in government and in industry. Let them work for the good of all people. Lord, we lift to you our own community as we continue to recover from the terrible shootings that have happened in our communities the last three weeks. We ask that you be with those traumatized by this and affected directly and indirectly and be their healing and their wholeness. Lord, we pray that you would be especially close to all who are feeling just a sense of burnout right now. There is such a weight. There's so much that used to be automatic that now is in manual, and it is too much. And we ask that you would plant seeds in their life for rest and nourishment. Thank you that our kids are having a great fall break, and let it be a time of rejuvenation for them. Lord, we lift to you this faith community that is centered under your lordship and ask that you would pour your spirit constantly of friendship, stimulate our craving for your gospel, and empower us through experiencing your goodness to go and be your agents of generosity and grace in our communities. Lord, we lift to you all these prayers and the multitude that we just don't have the words for, with the words that you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now in response to the goodness of God and as a declaration that he is Lord of all of our lives, not just the words, but the tangible portions of who we are, I invite our ushers to come forward to receive our tithes and our offerings.
4: Let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we offer you these resources. We know that you will take them and bless them and multiply them and then use them to meet the world's needs. We offer to you, too, our very selves. We thank you for the opportunities you give us to participate in your life-giving work for the sake of your kingdom. Through Christ we pray, and together we say, Amen. Amen.
0: Dear Christian friends, go now out into the world to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the blessings of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and dwell in your heart and in your mind forever. Amen.